I still have that sort of feeling mm. that that young person could be my kid or it could be somebody else's child. Mm. And and we know how, I mean, my mum always says this, how mothers are with their children, even when they have done the most heinous things, mm. is not the way other people are. Yeah. Because there is a love there that's yeah. seeing them through the eyes of a mother, but it cr- requires so much. It's such a paradigm shift. I don't think yeah. it's, I'm not disagreeing with you on this, yeah. but I can see why it's a leap. It's a huge leap for people. This is Common Era, a podcast from Labora Press, discussing spirituality in an age of change. I'm Chris Donald, and this podcast is brought to you by The Passionists, a monastic community in the UK dedicating their lives to social justice and solidarity as an extension of their faith. In our second season, we've been hosting a conversation between Anne-Marie Lewis, a leading business youth and justice consultant, and Matt Sediso, a composer, songwriter and podcaster with a background in human rights law. In this final episode of the season, Anne-Marie and Matt Sediso return to an ongoing theme. What does a just society really look like and how can we get there? To bring all the threads together, they ask how the church can lead the way in demonstrating a justice mindset and what questions we need to ask ourselves. Ultimately, it all leads back to the radical love of God, who is the very basis of our justice laws and our sense of rightness. How can we represent that love and justice in our everyday selves? We have a a philosophy in our criminal justice system that talks about crime and punishment and protecting the public from harm. And I often say, number one, Anybody who's been incarcerated was in public, is is part of the public. (laughs) That's the first thing. But secondly, 80% of people who are incarcerated have had so many multiple levels of trauma, failings, and and, and all sorts of things. So if 80% of those people started from having this childhood trauma, then the incarceration has to look different. Mm. You see what I mean? It's got to shift. And we've then got to start thinking about, well, if they were members of public who've been traumatised and failed by multiple levels and systems and structures, do we need to be protected from them? Or do they need to be protected from the harm society did to them? I mean, this is so... It's another massive paradigm shift. It's a real sort of sailor moment because it requires us to entirely rethink how we interact with these people. I've, I've done some stuff in youth offenders' prisons before. I pray for young people a lot, mm. perhaps because I work with lots of children and young people. And I remember mm. one day God said to me, I want you to, I want you to pray for these children as if you were their mother. Right. Because the way a mother thinks about some their child is not the way a random stranger does yeah so that when we're in the street I mean and and this is the thing about how you know why creating cohesive societies matters so much Mm. is that I remember when I was young and and people will say this especially if you're Caribbean or African 
that you'll be in the street and some random person who's not related to you in any way, if they see you acting up, they'll tell you off. <laughs> because you could kind of be their yeah. child, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, st- I still have that sort of feeling mm. that that young person could be my kid or it could be somebody else's child. Yeah. And, and we know how, I mean, my mum always says this, how mothers are with their children, even when they have done the most heinous things, mm. it's not the way other people are. Yeah. Because there is a love there that's yeah. seeing them through the eyes of a mother, but it cr- requires so much. It's such a paradigm shift. I don't think yeah. it's, I'm not disagreeing with you on this, yeah. but I can see why it's a leap. It's a huge leap for people. And the first thing that people will come back with and what, what often, you know, reactions would be, what about the victims? Yeah. And, you know, this is all about the perpetrators. In youth justice, again, it's in and around, particularly with um, our, you know, minoritized groups, it's like 70, 80% who are victim, what they call victim perpetrators, mm. who were victims and then became, went mm. on to offend, mm-hmm. as we see the cycle with so many things. Um, so that's one side of it. But there are very real victims as well in terms of people who have suffered Mm. because of the behaviors of some children Mm. um and they that brings you to almost like the the simultaneous side of the coin so now we've looked at maybe you know what does it look like and what are the interventions and what are the therapies and what would you put in place (laughs) for those who've who've committed these offenses simultaneously your justice system has to look at and how do we support Mm. compensate and help those who are victims and have been harmed by people's behaviors Mm. now there are so many different ways that people talk about restorative justice they Mm. talk about all of these different things um and i guess in my mind it's the same process you have to look at what was the harm what was the impact Mm. and who and where does their healing come from Mm. because Many times you speak to victims, and I will not talk for all victims, mm. but certainly in my experience, the majority of people who've had se- who are victims of serious, heinous crimes mm. have said that no matter what the sentence, mm. it didn't feel like justice. Yeah, because the child, the person is dead. Because the person is dead. Yeah. In the most extreme of cases. Or the person, people may not have, you know, people often say to me, is there things worse than death? And I'm like, yes, there are. For some people, mm. you know, um, significant life-changing injuries, mm. mental trauma, um, mm. never being allowed, you know, able to live your life the way it was before. Personal things taken from you. Some people don't even understand, you know, the, the personal facts of a, and, and the impacts of a burglary. And when mm. personal items of loved ones that can mm. never come back are actually, you know, destroyed, someone's ransacked your home. Th- these things have lasting impacts mm. on people. So, again, it goes back to what does justice for somebody in that circumstance look like? How do we support and heal those individuals who have been a victim of crime? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how do we heal and support those people who have perpetrated crimes Mm, mm -hmm. and if you come from both at that approach of what we ultimately want is both of you to be free from the circumstances Mm. and the things that got you here whether it be your fault or or not Mm. how do we get you both free how do we get you and that may or may not involve periods of isolation Mm. for people who've done wrong Mm. and other thorns as well it's such good information (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm just taking it in because it's such good information. So then this then requires society. Everyone's got to get their hands in, right? This is not just a bunch of prison officers, judges, lawyers, and social workers. This is, this is everybody. Yeah. So with this everybody in mind, yeah. and we're, we're still sort of talking about the church, the body yeah. of Christ, what, what do we do? Ultimately, it starts with the church. Okay. We have to role model that. We in the church don't even forgive each other. <laughs> you know, we in the church are calling for crime and punishment for each other. Mm. The Bible's very clear. Mm. The Bible talks about, um, and I can't remember where now, where it talks about um, that you should even suffer injustice yourself rather than if, rather than bring your brother to court if it's going to bring dishonor to God and if it's mm. going to, you know, if it's going to do harm. So we've got examples, many examples where, you know, ultimately we, the church, have to first model to the world mm. what a just system looks like. Mm. Mm. What does a justice system look like? Well, it looks like you as the leader of a predominantly white-led church that has a predominantly white-led leadership, but in an urban inner city area saying, I'm willing to step down and change my structure and bring a group of you guys from different backgrounds in and try some new things. I'm willing to make additional roles. I'm willing to set aside some of my money. I'm willing to run a reparation scheme. I'm willing to run you know, a scholarship scheme for people who are underrepresented mm. to go to the universities that we got all the privileges from so that you can get the education and talk to us from your points of view. Mm. It's those kinds of things. It's, it's demonstrating that my brother of a different background is eating at my table, not just my leadership friends, not just my circle of people that look like me and I'm comfortable mm. and not from a patronising point of view that says, I'm going to bring in someone of a different colour and try and do all these tokenistic things for, you know, for show, not a true, genuine heart that says, you know, one of the examples, and, and, and it's not to necessarily, um, because I don't know all the churches and everything, and I don't know, all, you know, what people, but one of the examples that comes to mind is the, is it Gloria Zion? I love it. Gloria so that's Zion, what comes to mind. Pierce right. Yeah, yeah. He, um, I saw, I, I don't follow his, you know, ministry and things like that, um, but there was, um, I was, led to one of his evenings of worship and it just was so amazing and it was his concepts and his thoughts around first peoples and how he treats indigenous populations and his embracing and opening and with a genuine heart mm. and platform um and seeing the worship of i think it was the hawaiian people that was just I, unlike i've ever seen it was just amazing and beautiful and it's things like that you know, sim simple things like that. Um, you know, we have to demonstrate what a just system looks like. So in terms of crime, it is, you know, and in terms of um, racial justice, racial reconciliation and things like that, which I think is criminal, mm. it is, again, our, the body of Christ coming together to solutionize you know, coming together to hear each other, coming together with an open heart, with humility, praying together, 
we often miss out the, the importance of prayer because I know that people have hidden behind prayer. Well, if we pray, we don't have to do anything else, yes. which is completely erroneous. However, it starts with prayer. Mm-hmm. Because if, if you don't pray for your heart to be changed and I don't pray for my heart to be changed, we can't even start the reconciliation mm-hmm. conversation mm-hmm. because you've got to be able to say, I'm willing to put down my defences and I've got to be able to say, I'm willing to put down my defences. Mm-hmm. And when we put down those defences, then how do we build back better? How mm-hmm. do we come together and learn from all of the things. How do we heal together mm. and then reimagine what does society look like? What does a just society mm. from a God perspective look like? If we, the church, don't do it, then how on earth do we expect the world? Mm. The world's laws and justice systems, no matter what anybody wants to argue, are predicated and mm. traced back to biblical yes. law, standard, Undisputed. Mm. Yeah, and, and I think again it comes to this thing that you know you mentioned earlier about what are you we prepared mm. to give up right. in order to make that stuff happen? Because it's going to require giving some stuff up. Sure. And the short term giving things up can feel quite difficult. Um, you know, but then the long-term stuff, yeah. I think, you know, we have to sort of think bigger picture. And I was, I was yeah. just sort of having this passing thought of even how, um, you know, during the pandemic, how, I don't know, like the, the panic buying and people just suddenly everything yeah. had disappeared and, and how we deal with all of that. Or, yeah. But then at the same time, people realising, oh, you know, let's create neighborhood schemes because some people can't go to the shop or mm. do you know what I mean? And I think yeah. that we have to be prepared to deny ourselves in some mm. way, shape or form. Yeah. If we are going to, you know, to see the kind of change because it's, it's, yeah. it's deep rooted societal change, yeah. you know? And but, just so yeah. what you were saying about that in terms of, um, it goes back to that concept around the riches, right? Um, we have that thought about can, you know, God talks about it's harder for the, the rich person in that way. And, and I think it's not, I don't, to get into heaven, obviously. Yeah, uh, then it comes to go up. through the eye of the right. needle, yeah. And in that, I don't think he was necessarily just talking about physical riches. It's the mindset mm. of richness versus the mindset of wealth. Because God never really talked about the riches of people. He talked about wealth. Mm. And we confuse the two. But the rich mindset says, me, me, me. The rich mindset says, what's mine is mine, and I will take as much off of you to make sure that I'm stored up. And, to you know, we saw that with the COVID playing out with people not thinking about group, not thinking about neighbour, very much like, I need to make sure me and mine are good. Yeah. The wealth mindset is completely different. The wealth Mm. mindset is, the more I gather, the more I give. That's so good. You know, Mm. the more I'm getting is for the good of the community. Mm -hmm. The righteous kings gave so much <laughs> to their, their people. You know, you look at Solomon and the thing that um, Queen Sheba spoke about the most wasn't his riches and his wealth, which she said, yeah, you know, all of the wonderful things that he had. It was, but all of your servants had the same. They had wealth and they had, you know, the best of everything. And they, they you know, they served with so much love and care because they were loved and cared for. So it's that kind of idea that we've gone to, to so much individualism as opposed to community and loving thy neighbour. We love self. We've forgotten about loving thy neighbour. Mm-hmm. And, and the church has to role model the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I say the body of Christ as opposed to the church because, mm-hmm. you know, that's a whole nother debate. Yes, but, you yes, know, yes. but 
some of the current church church uh, behaviors do not reflect God and do not reflect mm-hmm. the heart of God and and have done a lot of damage to people even mm-hmm. following Christ. So I, I I look to the wider body of Christ mm-hmm. and say we must demonstrate love mm-hmm. and justice and what a just system looks like. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So to to sort of draw all of this to a close, if you could think of say two things. Mm-hmm that you would want to be takeaways from this, what would those two things be? Gosh, two things. It could be one away. thing. What comes to mind is the heart of justice. Mm-hmm. And I would want people to really look into their heart and the heart of God and measure themselves. Do a, do, do a self-assessment. Mm-hmm. Does your heart reflect the heart of a just God. Mm. And then to think about what role can I play? What am I prepared personally? Before we think society, before we think bigger picture, what one thing could I do once I have reconciled, once I've prayed, once I've, you know, humbled and done all of those things and had a heart assessment? What's the one thing I could do for my neighbour? that would demonstrate a heart change and see where that leads. That's good. That's good. It's funny, I was just listening to you and I was thinking, you know, I didn't come to... I came to Christ as an adult. Nobody Mm. sort of made me get into any of this stuff. Mm. And I remember, for me, before I became a Christian, I Mm. remember thinking this Christianity is just some colonialist, imperialist religion, Mm -hmm. for real. Yeah. And, you know, I know, you know, from my father's experience as a freedom fighter and apartheid in South Africa where apartheid was used, you know, they would say, I think it was the Dutch Reformed Church, they would say... um, Oh, you know, we're just carrying out God's the the God's will through the apartheid government. And so for me, I was like, this Christianity thing is not for me mm-hmm. until I encountered Jesus. Mm-hmm. And and my thing has always been, well, what is Jesus like? And because I encountered him as an adult, and he is like, is I've been saved what, 20 years or so now. Mm. I have never been more pleasantly surprised in my entire life. Mm. that God could be this beautiful. Mm. But we have, he is so beautiful Mm. and we have done him such a disservice Mm. how we so poorly represent his beauty. Mm. And so my desire is like, Jesus, what are you like? Mm. Because he is beautiful beyond description and we can't be people that, you know, is saying God is beautiful, come and believe in him and we don't love each other well and we choose, we have favourites and we favour this ethnic group over another Mm. and we call it whatever, these weird things. Mm. Jesus is beautiful and I remember Mm. thinking, you know, the more he's displayed his beauty Mm. to me, I'm like, God, I want people to know that this about you. You're not white, blonde Jesus. You're, you know, Yeshua, the the Jews called him Yeshua. He is, you know, he is not a racialized Jesus. We don't actually know what he looks like. And I think the Bible was intentional, Mm. you know, so that we didn't start drawing. And still we've drawn him a certain Mm. way. And I'm just like, my desire is to know him. Mm. Like really know him, not what I think. And Mm. like I say, he always pleasantly surprises me. Mm. But to know him and then go, this is what he's like. Mm. 
And all of us as believers, we know the uh, Ephesians talks about the manifold wisdom of God. There are mm. so many aspects to him. He's like a diamond, you know, he's mm. got so many facets. Mm. So you're going to display an act, a side of him that I can't display. And, mm. you know, and, and we're all meant to, the body, display diverse um, sides to him. Mm. But all of it is beautiful. Yeah. And that is what I care about. And justice and, and, you know, we go back to what we started with, righteousness and justice are mm. the foundation of his throne. And we have to be really intentional. We mm. owe it to him. You said that beautiful thing that, you know, God's name was used to start this mess. <laughs> now God's name is going to be used to fix this mess, mm. you know. So I have loved talking with you today. It's and been a real delight. <laughs> um, thank you for your insight and knowledge and passion and expertise it's been it's been amazing I could keep talking but we need to go home thank you <laughs> oh I love this Common Era is produced by Labora Press an independent publisher run by the Catholic monastic order known as the Passionists to find out more about either of those you can go to labora.press or passionists.org.uk Thanks for joining us for this second season of Common Era Spirituality in an Age of Change.